Hello. Hello. How's your week going? Hey. Uh, you know what? It's a lot better than it was. Last week, I came down for the very first time in my life. I came down with seasonal allergies, and man, <sighs> they tanked me. I was in rough shape, and so I had to kind of slog my way through work and slog my way through some sermon prep because I preached on Sunday. And by God's grace, like Shelly was amazed after my sermon. She's like, you didn't cough once. I was like, I know. <laughs> we were both praying about it. And it was so wonderful that, that I was able to get through the sermon. But uh, yeah, I got through all of that. I've gotten on to some medication. And today is a much better day. So, That's awesome. How about you? How did your yeah. sermon go, by the way? Um, it went really well. It was... On John 15, abiding in Christ, and it was great. It was one of those sermons where I like wrote the whole thing, and I was like, okay, there, it's done. I think I've said what I want to say. And then I went back and went, no, this ending does not, oh, I'm not driving the point that I want to drive. And I just let the topic bake for a bit, and then came back and rewrote the ending and went, ah, now that is what I want to say. Uh, so yeah, it went great. That's awesome. Well, yeah. uh, you asked how I'm doing, and uh, then I interrupted you and asked how your sermon went. But uh, <laughs> I am doing quite well. Last week, when we talked, I believe my wife was quarantined with COVID, and she is mm. no longer quarantined with COVID. And so that is glorious. Yeah. Boy, so you must be like ready to charge through this podcast episode so you can spend some time with somebody you actually like. That is correct. A, I do not like you. B, I do like her. And so C, I am in a rush. <laughs> well, that is a correct I know statement. at least some of that is true. It's true. A and C are true. <laughs> I don't think anybody wins under those conditions. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, well, what's on your mind today? You know... I've been listening back to some of our earlier episodes, and you told this story a while back uh, when you said that you were going through the drive through at McDonald's. I think this was in our Contemplative Pastor episode, mm. but you were talking about how you went through the drive through at McDonald's, and they assumed you were busy, and from a Christian perspective, point of view, you thought to yourself that something was wrong here. Do you remember that? Yeah. I mean, I think I was a little frustrated that they designed an advertisement on the reader board. You know, do you need a little more of this in your busy life? And I thought to myself, well, that's assuming I'm busy, but they weren't wrong. I was busy and that assumption was valid. And I assume it is valid for most Americans. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to that, and I had a sort of follow-up assumption that I think is also true of most of us that struck me as equally uncomfortable from a Christian point of view. And mm. that is that not only are most of us busy, I think most, many, a lot of us are overwhelmed. 
I think a lot of people are overwhelmed. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh. Speaking from somebody who is frequently overwhelmed, it makes a lot of sense. And I was thinking to myself, you know, even as we are in this summer in the Psalms, when we are inviting everybody to read the book of Psalms with us and we're posting the schedule on our social media and in the show notes and kind of having lots of thoughts and conversations about the Psalms. One thing that strikes me from the Psalms, particularly in the readings that I've been doing this week, how often the idea of waiting on God comes into play as an ending point in the Psalms. That idea of waiting on God contrasted with, if you went back to our early episode on the church, you asked me in that episode, and this was you know like a year ago, so you probably don't even remember this, but you asked me from a pastor's perspective what church is all about. And the word that I used first and foremost, and still the word that I often think of first and foremost, is the word mission. The word mission is about doing stuff, accomplishing things. And somewhere in the tension of those two ideas of waiting on God and seeing our Christian corporate identity based on doing stuff and accomplishing tasks and things, somewhere in there, I think there is a recipe for overwhelmedness in which we as believers often end up just as overwhelmed as our culture. Does that ring true as well for you? It does. And I ponder it from a couple of different vantage points, though. On the one hand, I have a lot on my plate, and I often am very overwhelmed by my own task list. And I feel Mm. like I put that pressure on myself, and I took on a lot of things, and sometimes I've bitten off more than I can chew. And so I feel overwhelmed by my own tasks and by my own deadlines, my own commitments. That's one layer of it, and and that's just a personal thing I need to work on. But then there's a whole nother layer of it that I think about a lot that is just intrinsic to our society. I think about it from even the incandescent bulb perspective, because I work at 911. We work 24 hours a day, seven days a week that 911 exists. And so those computers are humming all day and all night. And when I'm not sitting at that desk, somebody else is. And mm-hmm. when I worked night shift, I sat up all night under fluorescent lights, looking at seven or eight monitors in front of me. And the steady hum of electricity was around me at all times. And I thought to myself, a hundred years ago, this job could not be done this way. And yet we don't even think twice about it anymore. Emergency rooms being open all night, uh, some restaurants being open all night, some fast food chains being open all night, 911 being available all night, and the list goes on and on. Our society 
is able to connect anytime it wants. It's able to get services anytime it wants. It's able to live and sleep outside of its normal rhythms. We can literally do most things that we want to do. And I think it adds to this sense of being overwhelmed because there's no natural break anymore. Man, you make such a good point. You know, I know a bunch of folks who work at a variety of recovery programs, uh, recovery housing programs in particular. I was talking to one of them this morning. This person got their first text before 6 a.m. And there is a reasonable chance that they will send their last email sometime after 10 p.m. You're absolutely right. A hundred and some odd years ago, that was not the way life worked. Right. And I sometimes read about people from a hundred plus years ago or stories that are set a hundred plus years ago, and they have evening rituals like sitting beside the fire or reading by the lamplight or sitting around as a family and talking or sitting on the porch and playing music on whatever instrument somebody has learned to play. These are quiet, peaceful, rhythmic scenes that conform to the day and night rhythms that are built into creation. But we have light bulbs and TVs and distractions and emails and texts that can go well beyond dark. But sometimes I long for days when the power goes out and I can sit around the fire with my family and we have no distractions. And it's so peaceful and restful in a way that our daily lives just aren't. Yeah. You know, I read earlier this year Jaber Crow by Wendell Berry. And Wendell Berry, in this series of fiction books about this town called Port William, is exploring this exact theme. So mm. Jaber Crow takes place over the early to middle 20th century, in which this rural town goes from a place where there are virtually no automobiles and a limited amount of electricity to a town that is completely conformed to the standards and expectations of uh, mass farming and automobile culture. And he talks about how the ability to chew up the miles with an automobile, instead of it giving everybody the time that they wanted, it made everybody want to go faster. Mm. And I know that's, uh, we're really a generation or two away from that. But even so, the fact that our generation is dealing with the profound translation of, of cell phones doesn't negate the fact that it was only really what our grandparents' generation that was dealing with the transformation of the world in the automobile? Sure, right? That is a lot of transition. 
without a lot of time for us as humanity to have reflected deeply on these changes and these transitions and its effect on our health or our effect on our well-being and our sense of being overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you said that Wendell Berry kind of thinks that the automobile helped emphasize speed. But I also think that here in America, we have really focused on efficiency. I think efficiency Mm. is often the God that we bow to. Anything to make things that much more efficient, which could be more profitable, it could be faster, it could be more effective, it could be what have you. I think about Sandra Richter in her Stewards of Eden book, and she talks about how the creation care practices that were baked into Israel's way of life are instructive for us today. And one of the things that she highlighted in terms of today's practices is how oftentimes the pork industry raises their pigs. And some of these pigs are, after they're born and weaned, they are set in their own stall and they are fed genetically engineered food and given all of the right medications and whatever to make them as plump as possible, as fast as possible. And their cage is the exact size that they will grow to. And by the time that they are fully grown, they have no room to sit, stand, maneuver, or whatever. The only thing they can do is just stand in one place for the remainder of their lives, getting fed until they're like the exact number of days that they've got it calculated that they're going to be the prime source of food and profit. And so they go to the slaughter and down to the inch they've calculated down to the day, down to the pound, they've calculated all of the different factors to figure out what's the most efficient use of this pig, let alone its quality, its well-being, its way of life, any of that, none of it matters, efficiency. More profit, more speed, more turnover, more use of space, whatever. And I find that that God that we tend to serve in our culture affects our sense of being overwhelmed because we're always looking to just get another leg up in that edge. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I'm processing what you're saying through my memories now of Jaber Crow, the book I was telling you about, Crow is the barber for Port William. That's his job. He's the barber. What that means is that much of the day, he's sitting in a barber chair watching the world go by until somebody walks in and needs a haircut. And he is perfectly content to just sit and watch the world go by. And he doesn't have to be efficient with his work. Barbering is not efficient work. He's just Mm. doing what he's doing. And this allows him to operate at a deeply reflective and very comfortable pace. And I think that we are living at a pace with an amount of stimuli, with 
an expectation of accomplishment or efficiency that all adds up, first of all, to being overwhelmed, and second of all, to require us to streamline our lives in a not ideal way to have space and time for all the things we want to get done. I've gotten, my phone has buzzed with texts four times since you first mentioned texting. Hmm. If I answer all of those texts, there is a richness that is lost to our conversation because I'm distracted. Now, fortunately, Mm -hmm. my phone is plugged in away from my microphone and I can't look at it, which is great. But the majority of the time I'm inviting all of those texts and emails and Facebook messages and all the buzzing that my phone incessantly does. And I guess with all of this, the question that I'm asking is, what is the healthy Christian response to an overwhelmed culture? Because on some level, I feel like my instinctive Christian response is just, don't be like that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, you just said you need to wait on God, so wait on God. There you go. You're done. So I think two things. Before I jump into that, though, I want to go back to something you said about if you had pulled out your phone during our recording here and in our conversation, there would be a richness that would be lost. And I really like the way you said that. But it implies that later, when we're not talking, and therefore, presumably, you're not doing anything you can just pull out your phone and invite all of those text messages and emails into your life. Which, of course, is never the reality. Yeah, there is a richness lost in the uh, the richness of silence, the richness of contemplation, the richness of giving your brain a break. All of that is rich, and I don't think we value it enough in our society. I don't think we realize that we need that. Um, My kids sometimes are, you know, their generation is reacting to the same stimuli, and they're choosing habits that react against it. And one of them is that when they go out to eat with their friends, and we've been doing this as a family as well, when we go out to eat, we will take our phones and we will stack them all together in the center of the table. And when you go out with your friends, the thing is, first person to touch their phone has to pay, which is great. Um, Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Right. But in other words, I mean, it's just a way of honoring everybody to say, I've turned off my phone. I am putting it out here in front so that if ever I wanted to reach for it, I would be doing it in the full observation of everybody. And it's a way of saying, I'm not doing that right now, which is great when you're with another human. But I think sometimes when we're by ourselves, we assume I'm not doing anything. Let me just invite this world in. And there is something rich that we are giving up by doing that. And I don't know that we always recognize the opportunity that was lost. That's a brilliant plan. I mean, a brilliant point. I hadn't caught it when I said it, but you're absolutely right. I'm assuming a fallacy. I'm assuming that there will be a moment when I'm not doing anything. I think I'm even a layer away from what you just said. 
there's not going to be a moment when I'm not doing anything, when I'm robbing myself of the richness of contemplation. I think I'm going to be in the middle of watching TV, talking to my son, and answering texts all at the same time. I'm just going to do it all later. That's mm-hmm. the reality. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. And by the way, me too, right? I'm not, don't put me in a different category there. Yeah, no judgment received. I am clearly judging you, but I didn't think you were judging me. Okay. All right. Very good. So long as we're back to, you know, you not liking me and wanting to rush this conversation. That is becoming a theme. (laughs) Um, but you know, you, okay. So you asked a moment ago, basically, how does the Christian faith speak to this and what's our response to the world? And I don't know that it does directly. I think there's some ways in which we can infer that it does, but here's the, the stark reality. The Bible was written at a time and a place that was far different from this present moment. These types of pressures and constancy and the unnatural rhythms of life made possible through electricity just were not baked into the worldview and the writings that we have as sacred scripture. So everything that we infer here is some level of theologizing and deep reflection on the scriptures to to see how would God speak into this present moment. So I just want to acknowledge that there's not going to be a clear answer. We're not going to open up to Leviticus 32 and find the answer. And the flip side of this is that we have to be comfortable in the tension of accepting the fact that there may be multiple good Christian answers. Yeah. So let me, with that, just throw out pieces, because I don't know that I have an answer, but I here are pieces that come to mind. You mentioned Psalms earlier, be still and know that I am God. There is a command to still ourselves and know, use our brain, use our mind. Mm -hmm. I think that's one piece of it. Another piece of it that comes to mind is you know, various commands throughout scripture that tell us to go out into the world and to be wise and to be shrewd. And, you know, if I can put it in my own terms, use the brain that God gave you. And in the vein of use the brain that God gave you, as we uncover these unhealthy habits and some potential solutions to them, it does. it's not a particularly Christian answer to say, hey, maybe we should just turn our phone offs phones off sometimes. Or maybe we should take on less responsibility because we've taken, we've bitten off more than we can chew, right? These are not quote unquote Christian answers. They're not unique to Christianity, but look, this literally is the brain God gave us. I think it's okay to use them and thank God for the wisdom to do so. You know, and all of this brings me back to the practice of Sabbath, Hmm. which uh, I hadn't thought about when we were going to start this conversation, and and we've had a number of conversations about this, but on some level, I wonder if Sabbath is the God-given rhythm. I wonder if, first of all, the answer is not a th- 
theological answer in the sense of it's not that you need to know this information. It's that you need to practice this habit and that the habit that offers the greatest insight into this may be Sabbath. Hmm. Sabbath as a way of detaching. Sabbath as a way of setting the phone down. Sabbath as a weekly ritual that is God's temporal version of whoever touches their phone first has to pay. (laughs) Yeah, I think so too. And I think along with Sabbath, some of the feasts and some of the fasts that are programmatic for Israel and later for the church. Not that any one of them is the key, but I think the key being that you have feasts and Sabbaths. You have holidays, you have events, you have celebrations, and that these rhythms get practiced and observed so that you do cease from working or you spend time focusing on this reality about God, whatever it may be, for this time. I think those rhythms also help to ground us in a disorienting world. Mm. Well, and even the fact that in an older generation, those rhythms were tied to the rhythms of the land, that Mm. is a deeply grounding rhythm when your sacred universe matches the harvest season and your festivals match when things grow and when they stop growing and when you plant. And I'm curious in our own festival traditions, festal traditions, what does it mean to use those well to sort of cultivate a sense of peace within the temporal, a sense of slowness and health that goes along with that slowness? It's a good question because earlier you referenced expectations and expectations from society, expectations from friends and family that are in this society. And I think about Christmas in particular and the rhythm of the Christmas season. Nothing could be more chaotic in my life than the month of December. Mm-hmm. There's so many events and things that we have to do and shopping we have to do and decorating and holiday gatherings and church events and on and on the list goes. And there's a sense of obligation for all of it. And if you've got kids, right, then you've got their holiday productions and, you know, Christmas songs singing that they do and all the different things. And then, you know, you have the storybook stuff that you've got to do. So you've got to get hot chocolate and you got to go sing carols and you got to go see lights and, right, you have a almost something you can do every single day and not ever get to it all. Um, mm-hmm. And so far from being a holiday, a, a moment of rest, a moment of regaining our rhythm, I feel like once it, the calendar flips to January, we all go, man, I'm worn out. Yeah, my mom spends the entire holiday season saying she's looking forward to the long winter's nap. (laughs) That we never get. That we never get. I wonder what it would be like. Because it's interesting to me, of course, that 
Christmas comes in the dark time of the year, right? Hmm. What would it be like to invite people to a Christmas that honors the shorter days? To a Christmas that honors our own limitations? Hmm. I kind of dream about that in other ways, but now I'm applying that dream to what you're just saying, and I really like it. I've been dreaming for some time about instituting a family practice that on a designated day of the week or a few hours of the day of, of a week, we consistently shut off the electricity. Mm. Just literally go to the breaker and turn it off. And we, we turn off our phones and we spend the day, the evening, whatever it is, and maybe this is a Sabbath practice on occasion, I don't know, just not connected. We're not connected to a TV, not connected to a phone. We're not doing any work. We're not using any lights. If we have to use, if we have to have light, we use candles, which has a relaxing sense on the eyes. I don't know. I wonder what, I wonder how overwhelmed we would feel in life if we had a regular practice of doing something like that. And hmm. I'm applying that to your thought of a holiday party. What if there was a holiday party where there was no electricity allowed? Yeah, what an interesting Lent, I mean, Advent practice. The power stops when the light stops. Yeah. Hmm. My wife, who has long been a fan of the idea of hibernating, is probably rejoicing at this thought as she listens to our episode and kayaks about on the lake. Um, <laughs> she will love this idea. And I am intrigued by it because talk about a very different way of fasting, right? Fasting yeah. from from the the things that are honestly the most culturally ubiquitous and therefore the most dangerous to us because they're subtle built-in messages we don't even hear them anymore we don't notice the way they shape our lives anymore yeah i would love to grow in this area i would love to fast in that way on occasion and if either of us manage to do this at any point and do it long enough to find some formative value in it. I would love to know what that experience is like. And honestly, to our listeners as well, if you take some of these drastic thoughts and run with them and carve out for yourself a countercultural way of fasting and ceasing from the relentless pace of society, tell us how that went for you. What did you do? And how did it go for you? How was your life altered by that? And did it result in feeling overwhelmed less? So I want to invite the audience, if you would, join us on Facebook, on Instagram. Just search for On the Phone with Josh. Join the conversation. Give us your thoughts or even things that you're wanting to try. And then as Josh from Missouri said earlier in the episode, we're also in the midst of our Summer in the Psalms series. And 
we want to invite you to be a part of that as well. You can find our reading plan in the show notes. You can find it on our Facebook page. Look, if you're just now hearing about this or you're just now realizing, you know, I actually do want to take part in this, start from right where you're at. Pick up right where we're at in the middle of the reading plan. Every psalm is its own independent unit. So you may as well just pick up right here and join us. We'd love to hear how it's going for you. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, Josh from Missouri, you have been reading the Psalms, and I would love to know how has your reading been going and how? what are you thinking about? You know, I am so glad that I banked a little bit of extra reading before we started because, honestly, I, I missed a couple of the days this week, very much actually for the reasons that we were just discussing. I constantly find myself, and I shared this, I think, last week as well, I'll start to read, and then I'll pick up my phone, and then I'll put my phone down, and then I'll start to read again, and then I'll pick up my phone, and then I put my phone down, and then I start to read. And my brain is trained to be so busy that sometimes it's hard for me to slow down. But honestly, I was reading this week, uh, and actually I was reading earlier today, Psalm 29, and there are so many things that I think are interesting in Psalm 29, but the first thing, and I think I, uh, the one thing I'll land on today is this phrase, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. This idea of a moment of worship, commanding the heavenly beings to participate in worship. That is fascinating to me. Mm. It is a reminder to me that the those who dwell in the supernatural realm, we very simplistically break down into angels and demons and the Bible seems to have more categories than that. Not that there are non-neutral or neutral options, but it just seems like the Bible has a very wide range of language for these supernatural beings. And it is secondarily very interesting to think of a song commanding these supernatural beings to worship. I mean... Has that happened in a worship service in your church recently? <laughs> well, no. The first answer is no. Uh, that has not happened in a worship service recently. Um, we're we're going to have to get on that. We'll have to out Pentecostal, mm-hmm. my Pentecostal friend. But uh, the the thing that's really fascinating for me is even the language that you're using and the breakdowns that you're implying you didn't say this, but hopefully I'm not misrepresenting you. It sounded like you're assuming that the psalmist is not also part of the spiritual realm. And almost it's it's foreign that a non-spiritual being would communicate with the spiritual beings and tell them what to do. And if that is at all part of what you were trying to say, I actually want to back up and think, you know what, as physical as we actually are, I want to acknowledge that we are also spiritual beings. 
we belong in that realm just as much as the angels and the other supernatural beings that Scripture talks about. Man, that's a great point. I, I'm That gives me more to think about, not less to think about regarding those verses. But uh, on that note, what else have you been thinking about? Yeah, well, I did not bank extra days. And as a result, I am also behind. Well, I fell behind this week. Because, again, for the things I mentioned, I told you I was dragging myself through work and sermon prep this week. And I thought, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I'm going to say this on the podcast and it's going to sound like the most ultra spiritual reason that I didn't get all my Psalms reading done. I'm sorry, I was preparing a sermon. Y'all better just back off. Um, but, but no, like I, I tried to discipline myself to at least read one Psalm each day, even if the reading plan called for two or maybe three psalms. My brain could barely hold on to my sermon thoughts this week, let alone try to grasp what each psalm was saying. And so I did get a psalm in every day, but I didn't always get to all of the reading. And I got to be honest, I, I didn't really process it enough in my state of mind to to have a legitimate thought for this podcast. So if I can, I want to go all the way back to Psalm 8, which we would have read last week, maybe even the week before, because I do have a thought from Psalm 8. Am I cheating? Is that cheating? No, go for it. I appreciate, first of all, one of the things you're saying here, which is that it is perfectly reasonable to read the Psalms at a slower pace and to digest them rather than to rush through them. So I appreciate the fact that you were able and willing to slow down this week. And I would love to hear your thought from Psalm 8. Yeah, uh, thanks. And I am beyond Psalm 8, by the way. I'm probably on around Psalm 22. So I'm not that far behind. But all right, so here we go. This is Psalm 8. And I was really fascinated because Psalm 8, I even come back to Psalm 8 when I think about the grand narrative of Scripture, because I find a lot of information about humanity and humanity's place in the world from Psalm 8. Because this is the great psalm that talks about, you know, who is man that you would be mindful of him, that you would, you know, you may, you set him just a little bit lower than the angels and, and over all of creation. And that's a, an amazing thing. So as much as I learn about anthropology from Psalm 8, I'm amazed by the way that it begins and ends. Psalm 8 verse 1 and Psalm 8, verse 9, are identical. Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It starts and it ends with this adoration of Yahweh our Lord. And I'm realizing as I look at this, any look at our anthropology or who we are as humans has to be surrounded from first to last in a magnification of who God is. If we miss mm. that, we miss who we are entirely. And I just appreciate the way this psalm is constructed. It really helped reinforce that for me. That is a good thought. And even speaks to some of our conversation about overwhelmedness, I think. Yes. Well, are right. you ready? I'm ready. Bring it on. All right. Ladies and gentlemen. Which Josh practiced magic for several years? The question is whether or not that Josh also 
got good at the magic in that practice? <laughs> you will note that is not the question. <laughs> All right. But the Who answer to the question we did offer is me. As I recall, to be fair, I think you actually did get pretty good at a few things, at least some sleight-of-hand card stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I was reasonable. Uh, I am reasonable at some of the mechanics. I am not particularly reasonable at the showmanship of it, but I am reasonable at some of the mechanics that magic uses. And I had, for several years, I had a parishioner who had been a semi-professional magician and we got together on a regular basis and he taught me all sorts of stuff it was really fun i loved it sort of a one of those dream come true kinds of things to know somebody like that who wanted to just teach me a bunch of stuff it was super cool i bet it was amazing yeah i loved it and what a cool thing for him to be able to pass on his knowledge and yeah that's that's cool yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Well, this episode has been magical. You want to record another one next week? Sounds like a great plan. Let's do that. Okay, I'll talk to you then. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you. Bye. Bye.